Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Catalyst Conversations. We are here today with Zhao. I'm sorry, you're going to have to do your name just to help me out. Um, he is the founding partner of Gamma Gloria and is based out of Lisbon. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Patrick. I'm good. The name is João. It's a nasal vowel, so it's but it's John in English. Or yeah, John, so you can see why that was an same name. <laughs> yes. I'm used to that. I never say that name on Starbucks. Yeah, I can imagine what you would get. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background. I know that you're a lawyer by trade. So tell us a little bit about your background um, before we get started. So I, I studied law. I was a lawyer for uh, for all my life. I also teach at the law school. So I have both this academic background and uh, and the, the and the professional background. Uh, for two periods in my life, I, I worked on 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 the political side. So I was an advisor to the Portuguese president for two years, and I was a member of the Portuguese government for a very short period in 2015. But apart from that, I've been a lawyer all my life and a law professor in, in various areas. And uh, my background is mostly public law and tax law. But seven years ago, I started working on uh, controlled substances, mainly on cannabis, but also other substances as well. And, and what made you make that move? So I, I, so I grew up uh, in Portugal when we had the, the big debate on drug policy. So I've always been interested in drug policy. That's an interest in, and drugs in general, uh, controlled substance, the psychoactive effect. So I, I read a lot about that and I followed the debate in Portugal in the late 90s and beginning of 2000s when I went to law school, but it was mainly before I went to law school. I grew up on a neighborhood, well, almost like all neighborhoods in Lisbon where drugs were a problem, heroin was a problem, people... Uh, were dying, or uh, at least there was that fear. AIDS was very high, and uh, and it all, always kept my interest. When I when I studied law, I kept that interest, but I didn't. There was nothing to study about drug policy at that time in the law schools. Um, only on criminal law you would touch something of those of these subjects. Uh, and then fast forward uh, almost uh, fifteen years, I. I started to, to, to feel that, uh, as we all know, it's a, it's a common place to say, but at that time, things were, uh, in 2013, were starting to move, were starting to change. And it was very obvious for me from all that I have studied before and read and thought about it, that things would change really fast on cannabis and other substances. Uh, and therefore, I, uh, I, I shifted my, my practice uh, towards opportunities in the controlled substances space. And I went after clients that could uh, want to come to Portugal and invest in Portugal and look at Portugal. And I got involved also with the, with the let's say, broader drug policy community in Portugal and then abroad, uh, doing other things related to drug policy, drug checking, patients. Uh, access and other pro bono work. So I got really involved since then uh, in these, uh, in, in the drug law in, in more general terms than only cannabis or just cultivation licenses or et cetera. And just for our viewers, can you give us a, a quick overview as where, where things stand in Portugal as far as um, what can you do, what can't you do? 
in terms of which uses. Cannabis. Should I? Yeah, but we, uh, okay, I mean, okay. So I'll, I'll go. recreational, uh, you can okay. grow, but you can't sell, but that type of highlight. Perfect. So, 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 um, so on medicinal cannabis, we, we have, uh, this is, very, uh, this is uh, very curious. We have since the 70s uh, in the Portuguese law, the possibility to cultivate cannabis. So there, there was the medical cannabis in the 1920s legislation as in treaties in the UN, but then a clause was introduced in Portugal in the 1970s to allow for the uh, cultivation of, uh, of cannabis, of course, for the convention purposes. So medical, veterinary, scientific. Um, but to my knowledge, that was not used. I, I have researched a little bit. I, I have not done a full historical research, but I don't know of any... Uh, cultivation license in the 70s. And we had to wait until 2014, 14, for the first license uh, of for cultivation of cannabis to be awarded in Portugal. It's interesting to mention that that happened around the same time that Portugal also awarded license for poppy, for opium poppy. Uh, in Spain, opium poppy, as you may know, is a, is a, a really uh, big culture in terms of uh, impact and licenses. We tried to catch up in, in the 2013-14 with poppy. That didn't work out well. So we lost to Spain in terms of scale, in terms of the investment we could attract. But of course, the framework is the same, is the controlled substance, special authorization, cultivation, and then manufacture. And what really, what, what really happened is that uh, GW uh, looked at Portugal and got the first license, uh, and then Tilray got the second license, and now we have uh, 19, uh, I think around 1919 uh, awarded licenses for, for cultivation. So it's, uh, it's, uh, once you have the license, you can cultivate. It, there's a different license for manufacturing slash production. Uh, that you have also to ask, of course, and then the import and the export license. There is at least one research license in Portugal, unlike Spain, where the research licenses are the, the norm, at least uh, as long as I know in Portugal, we only have one real uh, research license uh, and one for testing, uh, for one land that does cannabis testing. So, and the, the, all companies, what they, they look in Portugal is a friendly regulatory environment, which has to do with this story with the poppy, with the poppy, which went out, didn't went out well in terms of the economics of the business, but there was no danger, no diversion, no problem. So Portuguese regulators were okay with that. And they shifted to cannabis, uh, probably less, less averse to risk than other jurisdictions which did not have this poppy experience. Uh, Portugal is also looking for investments always, so that helped to have a, a friendly regulatory and stakeholder framework. Then, of course, compared to other countries, uh, the, the, the weather is fine, uh, qualified human resources are cheaper than in other countries, everybody speaks English, it's very safe. It's easy to attract talent to come here or a master or culturalist or a scientist or someone to come or just a business manager to set up a factory and live in Portugal six years uh, or six months, sorry. It's, it's easy to attract in, inside, a global, uh, in, inside a global company or uh, even in the global pool of talent to attract people to come to Portugal to live and work. Um, 
and and and, and in general, it's not a, a very expensive country in terms of uh, setting up a factory and running up a business. The price of the land is not very high. Uh, we have a problem with energy prices, which for cannabis can be a problem. Uh, but other than that, all the all, all the the costs are relatively uh, cheaper. So you have a qualified qualified. Um, you have qualified institutions. We don't have a problem of corruption. We don't have a problem. Uh, we are very qualified. The, 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 the public institutions, they are okay with, with awarding licenses, uh, qualified people, uh, good weather, cheap land. Um, it, so, so it's the perfect mix for, for having, uh, um, for, for attracting investment in this, uh, in this field. Uh, what, what, what are probably the official numbers is that you have around 100 so-called pre-licenses, meaning uh, people that have submitted the paperwork for the license, the paperwork was okay, but now, of course, comes the big thing, which is to make the investment. Uh, and of course, it will be like a funnel type. Many of them will, will not get investment, also because the, the dynamics as Go ahead. So the licenses currently are limited to cultivation, correct? So there are there are two. Uh, the, most of the licenses are for cultivation because the 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 the, the investors did not make the the, the investment to uh, to to get the, the GMP manufacturer license, which of course is very expensive. And one thing is the PowerPoint in the business conference saying that we have GMP. The other thing is really. Uh, actually getting GMP. Mm. There's in this industry and in this market, they use disparity between reality and what's uh, stated in websites and conferences and in business lunches. So it, it's very it's very expensive to get an extraction facility with GMP. We have two in Portugal approved for uh, for manufacturing. Uh, one, one, I guess it's only API. The other is uh, full, uh, full spectrum. But what I hear is that now the, the business interest in Portugal is around creating facilities to extract to all these uh, cultivation sites and even to from imported cannabis. And what about, you know, where is Portugal with regard to usage? Can you, you know, is there recreational use? Is there medicinal use? Is that legal? Okay. So the so uh, this this uh, wave of cannabis investment started before the Portuguese medical cannabis law was updated and regulated, which only happened in two thousand and eighteen one eight, and this was very uh, very uh, unanimous in in the parliament. Uh, patients were put up front. People understood that it was important for some kind of patients, um, and. We, we have a system where it's a medical prescription that, uh, of a product that has to pass a market authorization a procedure. So far, only one product is authorized, which is dried flower eating from Tilray. Other, from, from what Infarmed, the regulator says publicly, there are two or three oils in the, in the process of being approved. Uh, so probably we'll have the first oil approved. That's the, probably the, the next thing to approve. Then doctors have to prescribe it. You have to buy it on pharmacies. The catch here is two things. First, doctors can only prescribe it for a few indications for a few diseases like epilepsy, Tourette syndrome, glaucoma. Uh, and then there's pain, which is a, a broader category, neuropathic pain. And I believe from my 
my experience, that's where most of the prescriptions are being made. It's around pain because it's dried flour, so it's not extracts. Uh, therefore, it has to be a patient that can use a vaporizer, etc. So not kids, not people that are really impaired, etc. And the other problem in terms of access is that uh, so far there is no co-payment or co-payment from the, or reimbursement slash reimbursement from the state. And there's a legal discussion around that. If medical cannabis is eligible for reimbursement, I believe it is. I believe that's the spirit and the letter of the law that was approved in Parliament in 2018, but that's not yet clear with, um, with the authorities. So few conditions. And very and expensive, of course, products. But the law is there, the system is there, that are prescriptions being made, patients being treated with, with medical cannabis. So that's the, the, the medical cannabis. Other usages, uh, the other usage that's recreational or adult use. On, on that, I would start to say that the Portuguese decriminalization bill uh, from 2000, which is the law in force, says that you are not criminally prosecuted if you use cannabis or if you are caught, I'm simplifying here, but if you are caught with a quantity of cannabis that for 10 days, that's, um, that's 25 grams of dried flour. But this is for personal use. So you cannot open a dispensary, a clinic, or create a retreat, which is, or sell, or even organize, or even organize. So that's a question as a lawyer, I get a lot of, on the psychedelics front. So people that wanting to come to Portugal to organize retreats because here it's not a criminal offense to use psychedelics. It's not, but to organize a retreat, it's a criminal offense. So even if there's not many exchanged, even if they don't prove the money, even the fact of promoting and organizing is in itself a crime. So you have uh, people have to be careful when, when they think that the decrim policy in Portugal allows for everything. It's not the case. Uh, so what, what, what happens is that uh, under the system, people are, if uh, like a young, uh, like if a teenager is caught smoking a joint in public, he'll go to a, to a commission of psychologists or social workers. And if his usage is not problematic, he'll pay a fine. If there's a problematic usage, he'll be referred to addiction treatment or information. Most uh, 90% are just pay a fine. Um, so that's what we have in place. Then there have been over the over the time since 2000, two or three efforts to to legalize adult use, and uh, we have in Parliament two bills advocating for adult use, and we have for the first time in Portugal a civil a movement of the civil society supporting adult use. We had a letter published in the main newspaper in Portugal, signed by 60 former ministers of education, health, uh, defense, uh, uh, police, uh, and, and uh, scientists and other intellectuals and personalities uh, beyond all reproach. So people that don't have any interest in the business, in the cannabis business, people that, uh, that are moderate in nature. It's not like the normal act, drug policy activists. And these people came forward for a, a responsible regulation of cannabis, gave their name, which is very encouraged in a, in a country like Portugal, where things keep to be, is, uh, things are often very low profile. It's not like in Spain, where there is a huge fight for the social causes, or like in the US, where you find referendums and ballots and, and grassroots movements. Portugal, Portugal is 
quite different from these, these approaches. So this, for the first time, this happened. The problem or the question is that as we are speaking in the in November 2022, the, the will have elections. So the, the budget law was rejected and we'll have a new parliament coming in on January 3rd, uh, after the January 30 election. And after that election, we'll see if it's a more pro-cannabis parliament, uh, cannabis that's as, can, as pro-cannabis as this one, or more against cannabis. And that no one can ever tell you at this stage because there's a huge question mark around this election. But probably what will happen is that the country, the sorry, the political parties that proposed adult use legislation will reenact their proposals when the new parliament comes in around February, and we'll have a discussion about that. And typically, it will be a commercial model with some restraints on THC level, uh, with authorizations for the places to be sold. And no one seems to agree on that. If it's on pharmacies, special stores, uh, tobacco stores, so that there's still a discussion to be made. But it will be on special places, most likely with a controlled THC level, controlled age, um, and, and I believe marketing, uh, marketing restrictions. So the majority of the cultivation is then for export purposes. Yes, so, and and even even the, the first uh, uh, the first licenses arrived in Portugal when we did not have a proper legislation on medical. So it was purely for export in the beginning, and now it, it's also for the domestic Portuguese market, which is of course very small, because Portugal is a very small country. And the legislation, as I told you, is restrictive. Number of conditions and no, at, as of now, no reimbursement from the state. And do you know the folks that are advocating for, you know, adult usage or you know an expanded usage? Are, are they making the economic development argument of job creation, a tax base, those types of arguments? Yes, but the first argument is is health. So we have in Portugal the most uh, number of young people, I believe only after Spain, smoking cannabis. It's a huge widespread, and as in all countries, because THC levels are rising, we are seeing more and more psychotic uh, problems, mostly with teenage, teenage boys. That's like the typical problem that happens. And this is happening now. Not, so legalization may reduce that, 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 that problem by having uh, cannabis that at least has a capped THC, uh, THC level that is grown under GACP conditions or other conditions that health authorities deem uh, more safe to the health than with, the, with what is on the, on the gray market, which of course has pollutants, has uh, uh, pest controls that are not, uh, that are not controlled. That, we don't know what it all is. All sorts right? of things. So, no one knows that. No right. one knows what it is. And that also can play a role in the, in the psychotic effort. So, so this is the first uh, argument that's being put forward uh, due to the number of cannabis usage in, in Portugal. Like we have the problem. It's slightly comparable. Of course, it's not the same thing. But like we had with Erin 20 years ago, now we have, I'm comparing only to see where the problem is. Of course, it's difference in magnitudes, in effects. I'm not comparing that part, of course. But, but therefore, that's the first argument. The second argument is economic development, more on the tax side, on the budget law. Uh, and then, of course, there's economic, uh, economic impact. Culturally, 
Portugal is not a country where you say that this is great for economic development because we're, everybody's going to get rich selling cannabis. People will not like that kind of arguments. It's not according to our culture to be the main argument to look for. And it's, and it's cannabis and all other types of industries. Uh, in Portugal, people are uh, still inherently suspicious of uh, um, very liberal, uh, economically liberal arguments. Uh, and, and therefore, that's not the, the, the first argument as we've seen in, in other countries. And, you know, when we look at conservative countries... You and know, I believe, they, of course, that... The, go ahead. The, I was going to say, um, you know, the, the counter to that is we look at what we consider to be conservative countries like Germany announcing that they will likely have adult use. Will that help move the needle in Portugal if, if Germany goes down that route? I'm, I'm sure it will. Uh, so the medical cannabis legalization in Portugal came after the German, the German model. And Germany is a very, of course, very respected country in Portugal. It's a conservative country. So if Germany is doing this, is Portugal the, the beacon of drug policy staying behind all these countries that took 20 years to decriminalize some usage? So that's also an argument in Portugal. So we have to take the second step of drug policy as we did 20 years ago. We are the poster child of drug policy. We cannot stay behind. We cannot afford to stay behind this time. And we are already slightly behind compared to Switzerland cities, compared to Canada, compared to Uruguay. We are already a little bit behind. So let's not stay totally behind. And let, let's hope it doesn't happen to Portugal. What, what happened with, with the Netherlands that were very progressive with the coffee shop regulation, but then it became a mess and all the world has a better model than, than Netherlands, which is ironic because they, they took a great step with, the, with their policies in the, I believe in the seventies from the seventies on. So Portugal cannot afford to, 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 to have that. Germany will be a good example and the domino effect that will fall, I believe around Germany with the Netherlands, with Luxembourg, with, with all these countries will, will be uh, a tremendous, uh, pressure slash comfort to Portugal to go forward with uh, with a policy such as this. And with your um, law firm and, and I think you're consulting as well, are, are you helping people navigate, you know, the license process? Are you advocating for adult use? What is the focus of your work? I do. I do a little bit of, of everything that you, that you, that you said. Um, so there are, now there are more, but when I started, no one was doing this. Um, literally, no one was doing this. Uh, and I had this intellectual interest. I'm an academic, so I studied very deeply and very hard. I read a lot about drug policy. So uh, that puts put me in a position uh, of uh, being uh, the normal go-to person in all things related to drug policy law, the, the law aspect. I'm not a drug policy specialist. And therefore, it gave me a broad range of clients slash clients, both pro bono and non pro bono, but people that I help um, from global companies that want to navigate and get licenses in Portugal to patients that don't know if they can fly to, I don't know, let's say to Germany with their, with their medical cannabis or flying to Portugal on holidays, bringing their medical cannabis from Ireland. Um, I advise nonprofit organizations that work globally with, with psychedelics, uh, both on the legal front, on the defense cases. Uh, I do uh, very, very intellectual stimulating work which with, with the Portuguese drug checking organization. 
uh, that does drug checking. Drug checking from a legal standpoint is very, very interesting because there are lots of things that you have to sort out in terms of allowing an NGO to receive drugs, to possess drugs, to test drugs, to have the analytic partners, and then to, 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 to have the contact of the people who use drugs and communicate the results. So that, that creates a lot of legal problems. And it's very interesting to say that in the German coalition treaty or agreement that was announced last week, drug checking was mentioned. It's very, very interesting. Portugal is very forward in in uh, in, in drug checking, and I've it's a, it's something that um, that I like to work with because it's helping people to to use drugs with with a minor risk. So people that have already decided to use drugs, uh, if uh, if a MDMA pill is found with five times the MDMA normal amount and people can die, it's very good that an alert can go to all net. Network, to all the network in Europe saying that kind of pill is very dangerous and would probably kill a teenage kid in a music festival or whoever. So, so and, and because this all stems from the UN treaties and from the same kind of legal problems, I'm not a criminal lawyer, but I, I entered very deeply into this regulation and drug policy and treaties. So I do I do all, all that kind of, of, of advising. I've advised also foreign governments on legislation for for medical and adult use i've uh, i've done pretty much uh, anything and then there's another area i don't know if it's of your interest for this for this conversation which is cbd yeah was my next question okay okay tell me what, what do you want to know in, in in yeah so what is portugal's position on cbd and cannabis and other products such as cosmetics and you know it, you know are they okay as long as the THC level is you know nominal or or they okay so so that that's uh, 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 I would say ironically uh, that's the area where there's more risk uh, uh, CBD is uh, in Portugal in terms of cosmetics and food slash food supplements is regulated by European law and according to European law you cannot use CBD in food or cosmetics, CBD from the plant. And that's, for me, it's very clear. For the Portuguese authorities, it's very clear. But for, for the CBD people and for the CBD shop owners, that's not very clear. So I, I, there's a part, uh, I, sometimes I spend a great part of my weeks, uh, mostly pro bono, uh, but telling people that, it's illegal what they are doing. They are running into this kind of risk. The authorities can go there and close the shop, can indict the shop owner, can um, can take the products to, to inspection, etc. And that's really happening in Portugal. For the past two years, I was alone in this, meaning that I didn't have any sources of the public authorities saying this. So some clients thought I was being over-conservative, which is never the case, or that I was being risk-averse or wrong, or plainly wrong in the interpretation. Because if you go outside, you see the shops and the shops are running. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's legal. But in the last three weeks, the, the economic activity regulator and the agronomic, let's say, regulator, both the GAV and ASAI, which is the Portuguese acronyms for these two authorities, have issued public positions saying precisely this, that CBD until it cannot be used in food or food supplements until it's not approved from the, from the, 
from the from the AFS, FSA uh, procedure, novel foods procedure, which has not happened yet. And until it happens, it's not uh, authorized food supplements. Uh, of course, there are some of these products that only make only between comas make false claims, meaning they claim to have CBD, but it's hemp oils and the seeds, where we all know now that no CBD can be found, but they claim they have CBD because that's what sells for the most profit, but they are hemp seed oil or hemp oil or, or whatever. Because, and then there is a, a huge confusion also around the, the cultivation uh, because the cultivation, which is allowed uh, with, the, with the minor level of THC, it's for industrial uses. And industrial uses are defined by practice, are defined by uh, practice of years in the European regulation. And most of these people uh, want to challenge the, the, the concept of industrial uses and uh, try to make arguments that uh, like there's no THC. But the problem is that when the treaty, as we all know, when the treaties were written and when the treaties were translated, let's say, into domestic legislation, no one knew what THC was, what CBD was. So the law as the UN treaties refers to the plants and or parts of the plants, does not refer to THC. Well, it refers in the 71 Convention in the examers, but it's a different thing. It does not refer to THC, therefore it's a crime to extract it unless it is for industrial uses. And there's no way around this. I, I believe that if you go to a judge and you have, a, let's say a bottle of CBD drops, you won't go to jail. But not going to jail is a result of a criminal investigation and people should not run into the risk of being subject to criminal investigation. There's, uh, I, 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 that, there's bigger purposes in life from that. That's what I tell people that approach me. Some and, take my advice, some do not. And do you believe that um, the public positioning on CBD is sort of the precursor to enforcement? Uh, the, no, the, import, the enforcement was, I think it's different. The enforcement was all, all already happening. But you said Maybe like, you they, know, the CBD shops are operating. They're, you know. but, the, the, but most of the owners are indicted. Most of right. stock, some stock has been apprehended. Uh, I believe that they are, they, they want to do a public warning because like, it's very confusing. It's very confusing that, that you go on a, uh, there's this Fado, the Portuguese song, there's this Fado radio, uh, which is mostly uh, heard in Portugal by in taxi drivers or old people, and they advise CBD on that, on that radio. And people get confused, which, of course, this is creating, I would not say social alarm, but at least social suspicion. And so, therefore, these authorities came forward with this position. I don't believe they will bring more enforcement, but at least they will try to prevent these shops from opening and opening. These will happen, as we know, this is happening all over Europe. It's not a Portuguese problem. Uh, I believe this will make create pressure for uh, EFSA to, to, to solve the, to, to, to be quick in solving the, the novel foods procedure. And it doesn't matter the result. If there's toxicity in CBD, it should not be allowed. If there's not toxicity, it should be allowed. There's no, we shouldn't have an a priori uh, wish for the decision of that procedure because it's public health and the health of everybody that's that's around. As, we, as you all know, uh, all the studies that have been 
made testing the products that we find on those shops around Europe. Some have CBD, some do not have CBD at all. Some have more THC than the limit, some do not have. So it's, it's an unregulated market. And I don't believe that it's safe for uh, citizens to have unregulated market in any area of food consumption. So therefore... And I mean, it, it's clear that we need standards. We need, you know, labeling that, you know, people can understand um, because, you know, unfortunately, so many players that tried to enter the market were just opportunistic. Um, they made claims or they were making claims about what the product was, what the product could do. And therefore, you know, you were seeing products, like you said, labeled with CBD with nothing in them or, you know, or they were making outrageous medical claims that this is going to cure everything. Um, you know, so we need yeah. to avoid that. Where do you think you will focus um, in 2022 on these efforts? So I believe 2022 will have a lot of efforts around recreational use, around adult use, because in Portugal, because the law will be enacted. Uh, I believe there will be a lot of contractual work, contracts and commercial work around uh, supply for extraction and contracts for extraction manufacturing contracts. Uh, so, so the cannabis ecosystem verging into what we find also in a, uh, in the pharma business. I believe that will happen in, in Portugal, more exports and imports. Uh, and, uh, and that's probably the, 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 the largest portion of the work I see changing. Uh, I don't believe that we'll have uh, many activity more around uh, cultivation. Um, unless, of course, uh, legalization in Germany comes with the possibility of uh, exporting to Germany for the adult use market, uh, which, which no one knows uh, how can happen according to the treaties. So. so if folks are interested in what you're doing and want to follow what you're doing, where can they find you? Uh, my, my, my website is www.gammagloria.com, but if they put my, my name with the word cannabis on Google, uh, it seems that my, I know it's your job also to work on, on digital marketing. So I'm, I'm connected to, to cannabis on Google. So it's easy to find. We will make it a point to put your website um, in the link below as well as um, some of the other references that you mentioned. We appreciate your time um, today and we look forward to great things in Portugal. Hopefully we'll see the needle move maybe after Germany on adult use. Um, I hope so. We do too. <laughs> so thank, thank you, you very much. Nice to meet you. Cheers. Thank you.